It's been said that there are as many living organisms in a shovel full of dirt as there are human people on the planet. As far as those organisms are concerned, the entirety of all that exists dwells inside that shovel. These living organisms live, eat, mate, and reproduce, all within the confines of their shovel full of dirt. Their children play on the microscopic league baseball team. The families take annual vacations to the other side of the shovel. And as far as this little community of organisms are concerned, their shovel full of dirt is all there is. In the book, The World of Biology, author John Hudson Tyner writes of Anton van Leeuwenhoek, a Dutch scientist who lived from 1632 to 1723, who was active in the development of the microscope. Van Leeuwenhoek claimed that there were a million living organisms and a single drop of canal water. Many in the scientific community scoffed at what they saw as an outrageous fantasy, but decades later it was confirmed. There are microscopic living organisms everywhere, even a million in a single drop of water. To these organisms, their single drop of water is all there is. The flea family live, mate, and reproduce. Their kids uh, play Little League Baseball, and they take family vacations. But as far as they are concerned, the dog's rump they inhabit is all there is. The man and his wife live upon this little earth. They eat, mate, and reproduce. Their children play on the Little League Baseball team, and they take their annual vacation. And as far as they are concerned, this world is all there is. The human experience is reminiscent of the shovel, the drop of water, and the dog's rump. But there is more, so much more, amazingly more. Amazingly more begins at the place Jesus Christ calls born again. John 3, 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. When the child of God reaches the other side of this life, when he or she reaches eternity... They are greeted by this phenomenal promise, 1 Corinthians 2.9, But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. The lyrics of an old gospel song proclaim in reference to everlasting life in Christ, The half has never been told. This comparison is woefully understated. The phrase in question was spoken by the Queen of Sheba regarding the wisdom of Solomon, 1 Kings chapter 10, 1 through 7, and was certainly not a comparison to the marvels of our God. No, we have only experienced a fraction of a fraction. What is to come staggers the imagination. Dear visitor, have you yet to be born again, born a second time, this time of the Spirit of God? In just a few moments... I will invite you to follow me in a simple prompt, and if you follow from your heart, absolutely everything changes for you today. I must underscore everything. Today all your sin and shame will be washed away by Christ's cleansing blood. Today all of Satan's bondages in your life will be broken. Today you leave the shovel, the drop of water, and the dog's rump. Today you will be born again, as in right now. Here is the prompt I promised. Click on the Further with Jesus. 
for childlike instructions and immediate entry into the kingdom of God. Now for today's subject. God said, Romans 16, 25. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began. God said, Matthew 26, 28, For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. God said, Job chapter 2, 4, and 5, And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. Man said, I'm not like the others who believe blindly. I think things out and have smart questions like, Who needs Jesus when I have my smartphone and AI? Now the record. Welcome to God Said, Man Said feature 1199 that will for the 1,199th time certify the bona fides of God's supernaturally authored majority text Holy Bible. All of these Bible-centered features are archived here in text and streaming audio for the edification of the blood-bought and to be used as ammunition in the battle for the souls of the lost sons and daughters of Adam. Every Thursday Eve, God willing, they grow by one. Thank you for visiting. May you be empowered by the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. The Holy Scriptures speak of a mystery which was kept secret since the world began. Again, Romans 16, 25. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. God's marvelous and mysterious plan of salvation is discovered in Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son, and His cross. The eternal fruits of this mystery, functioning amongst the once lost sons and daughters of Adam, is revealed for the first time to a ruler of the Jews named Nicodemus, John 3, 1 through 3. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The ultimately unspeakable magnificence of salvation opens the door, or better said, begins the journey unto eternal life in Christ. During this journey, the born again participate in another amazing mystery known as the mystery of godliness or godlikeness. 1 Timothy 3.16, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Participating in the mystery of godliness is only made possible by the blood of Jesus Christ. The ignorant rail upon Christianity, calling it the slaughterhouse religion. Ah, but if they only knew. This short but supremely powerful series will ask of God, why the Christ? 
Why the cross? Why the blood? Why the virgin birth? Why the last Adam? To set the stage, the following foundational paragraphs are from the God Said, Man Said feature, The Seven Greatest Mysteries for a Man to Know, Part 4, The Mystery of Calvary's Blood. The children of faith are so enthralled with the living Word of God. It is perfect and inerrant supernatural truth. It tells us where we came from, why we're here, and how to get where we need to go, and it's also gloriously provable. Yes, beyond any doubt, reasonable or otherwise. God has left a trail from day one of amazing proofs for us to find that satisfy the inquiring mind and that destroys the positions of the so-called higher critics and the rest of Satan's champion detractors. Yes, all of them, all the time, all the time. When I first gave my heart to the Lord, I was so intrigued, and still am, with the blood of Jesus and why it alone could cleanse and save a man's soul. I got a notebook and recorded every verse in the Bible that included the word blood. Why, God? Why blood? Why not acts of contrition or accomplishing great feats? Why not money, feeding the poor, healing the sick? Why blood alone? Mockers have ridiculed our faith, calling it the slaughterhouse religion, and as usual with their goals, there is some truth. With my current lexicon of words and understanding, I can only understate the magnificence of the mystery of the blood, but the entirety of its need to atone for the sins of man was established at a place called Eden. At this place, Genesis calls the Garden of Eden, God's first two children were given dominion over all the earth. They were charged with the job of tending the beautiful garden God had made expressly for them and to be fruitful and multiply. Just a couple decades ago, evolutionists rejected out of hand the Genesis account of one original man and one original woman being responsible for all mankind on the earth today, labeling it preposterous and ridiculous. But when the field of microbiology brought them to their come-to-Jesus moment, when they discovered through genetic research that, yes, indeed, just as God's Word recorded, all people on the earth today are the descendants of one common mother called mtDNA Eve and one common father called Y-chromosome Adam. Now, instead of claiming a million years or so of genetic history of mankind, the timeline has dropped to 200,000 years, then to 100,000, 60,000, and with the new revelation that the DNA clock may move much faster than previously assumed, possibly 6,000 years old. There were two original parents, just like God's Word testifies, who were created to live forever and dwell in a garden paradise, but a deadly change of events occurred that turned everything upside down. Adam and Eve were given the following commandment from God in Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. In Genesis chapter 3, 1 through 6, Satan deceives Eve into believing his words over God's words. In an act of unbelief and disobedience, Eve ate of the forbidden fruit. 
and Adam followed her malevolent ways. They both died the second death that very day and surrendered their dominion, their birthright over all the earth to Satan, who then became the little G-O-D of the earth, 2 Corinthians 4.4. Listen to Satan's statement to Jesus Christ, which the Lord does not challenge, in Luke 4, 5, and 6. And the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. In the Garden of Eden, Satan the destroyer takes legal possession over Adam and Eve and all their progeny. They, Adam and Eve, personally sold their offspring into sin. At this place, the law of sin and death began to reign, Romans 8, 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. The mysterious solution for man's deadly dilemma is only found in the shed blood of God's only begotten Son. Only Christ's blood can settle the score and set captive souls free. This is a legal issue. Satan took possession legally, and legally it must be purchased back, thus Jesus, our Redeemer. All of Adam and Eve's offspring were spiritually stillborn, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, and you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. We were all spiritually dead. Thus the need to be born again, John 3, 3, born a literal second time, this time of the Spirit of God. As a result of the fall, the sons and daughters of Adam are spiritually deaf, dumb, and blind, sitting chained in Satan's dark dungeons of unbelief. If mankind could ever be salvaged from the devil's cruel bondage, the God of all law, would need to make a way of escape that satisfies the letter and spirit of the law. God knows the end from the beginning because he is from everlasting to everlasting. He sits and rules on both sides of time, Psalms 41.13. He created time and is not subject to it. When the blood-bought reach eternity, Revelations 10.6 reads in part that there should be time no longer. God creates a way of escape from the very foundation of the world. The plan of salvation is in place. Revelation 13, 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. 1 Peter chapter 1, 18, 19, and 20. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by the tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Matthew twenty-five thirty-four. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the 
foundation of the world. The first covering for sin in history is the blood sacrifice. God covered the nakedness of Adam and Eve with the skins of an animal, Genesis 3, verse 21. God creates the plan of salvation in deep secret and from the foundation of the world. Again, Romans 16:25. Now to him that is a power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began. The plan in its power is first revealed by the Lord Jesus Christ in John 3, 3. Again, it reads, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But it will take a blood sacrifice. Abel, the second son of Adam and Eve, was the first man to bring an acceptable sacrifice unto God, Genesis 4, 4. Abel was a keeper of sheep, and he brought a blood sacrifice from his flock. God's Word teaches that the Old Testament was a schoolmaster, Galatians 3.24, bringing us unto Christ, and a shadow, Colossians 2.17, of that Christ which was to come. An excellent example is the last plague that befell Pharaoh's Egypt that broke the back of Satan's bondage. That plague was the slaying of the firstborn of all of Egypt, Exodus 11.21, and 23. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said unto them, Draw out and take you a lamb according to your families and kill the Passover. And ye shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of that out of uh, out at the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he seeth the blood upon the lintel, and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come in into your houses to smite you. It's called the Lord's Passover. When the destroyer saw the blood applied, he had to pass over. The Old Testament Passover is fulfilled in Christ Jesus. John chapter 1 verse 29 speaks of John Baptist's word when he sees Christ coming. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrifice for us. We observe the Passover in its fulfilled form when we partake of the Lord's Supper. God requires a blood sacrifice to satisfy the legal letter of the law to effectuate redemption, but why? Matthew twenty six twenty eight. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Acts twenty twenty eight. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Why blood? When Jesus Christ pays the price in blood at Calvary and is resurrected by the Father to sit at his right hand, something strange happens in heaven. Revelations 12, 7 through 11. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, 
and the dragon fallen his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. And they love not their lives unto death. Satan is called the accuser of the brethren and accused them before God day and night. Satan is a prosecutor and will exact the full letter of the law. However, do note that he is overcome by the blood of Christ. Satan argues with God in Job chapter 1 and 2, and it becomes obvious that he thinks no man could attain to God's standards. Further, he believes that men do not serve God out of love, but only for the benefits that God bestows. Remove the blessings, Satan argues, and that servant of God will curse him to his face. Of course, that was the reason for Satan's day and night accusations. It is interesting point that Satan knew of Job, but somehow forgot to accuse him before God. Job 1, 6 through 12. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power, only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And one day, Job lost all his great wealth. Even his children were dead. But the devil's argument failed. Job 1, 20 through 22. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. After the initial failure, Satan renews his challenge and moves the goalpost in Job chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? And still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. The reoccurring theme in Satan's challenge is he will curse thee to thy face. 
Take special note of Satan's response. Skin for skin. Yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. Satan's position was that man's faithfulness to God will not measure up to the final test. When man's life is on the line, his love for God will disappear and he will curse thee to thy face. This was Satan's argument, possibly even his own defense. Why was the blood of Jesus Christ shed for the sin of man? The awesome task of Jesus Christ was to break the back of Satan's argument and wrest from his hands the dominion of the earth that he had stolen by deception from Adam and make a way of escape for the the repentant souls of men. In order for Jesus to reverse the situation of man's blind bondage unto the devil, he had to remedy the fall of Adam. Christ is known in the scriptures as the last Adam, the second Adam, 1 Corinthians 15, 25, and so it is written, The first Adam was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. The first man Adam and the last man Adam issue will play out in this series in a most astounding way. In God's secret plan of salvation, the stakes were very high. What if Jesus failed? The stakes were the souls of mankind, and failure would certainly have repercussions in heaven itself. Jesus didn't want to go to the cross, and he could have stopped the process at will. It's read, this, uh, this is re- recorded in Matthew twenty six fifty three, John ten seventeen and 18, and Luke twenty two forty one through 44. And in Luke we read, And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was, it, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Jesus was in agony and prayed so intently, he sweat great drops of blood, a medical condition known as hematidrosis, a very rare condition that, according to the Dictionary of Hematology, occurs when a person is suffering extreme levels of stress, stress, for example, facing their own death. Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, went to Calvary, the place of the skull, and paid the ransom for the souls of all those who would call upon his name. He was tried, mocked, beaten, scourged, and forced to bear his cross until he fell under the weight of it. His hands and his feet were nailed to that old rugged cross, and then he was suspended between heaven and earth between two thieves. Judas the traitor ran off with the money, and the soldiers cast lots for his clothes. Jesus hung upon the cross of crucifixion a naked pauper, while the chief priests, scribes, and the elders railed and jeered. All his disciples and apostles were devastated and dumbstruck. How could it be? He was the Messiah. From the cross, Jesus looked down and saw John and his mother, both grief-stricken and heartbroken. And we find this exchange in John 19, 25 through 27. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, Behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. 
Finally, this heart-rending cry comes from the cross at the ninth hour, 3 p.m., when our Lord gives up the ghost, Matthew 27, 46 through 50. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there, when they heard that said, This man calleth for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, Let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. Somewhere in the deep fog between life and death, Jesus thinks his father has forsaken him. Somewhere in the deep fog between life and death where his last drops of blood are falling to the earth, when his lungs, heart, and mind are failing, he thinks his father has forsaken him. He was the only begotten son of God. His entire essence and ministry were built upon the words of his father. He walked, talked, and performed great miracles by the power of God to bring glory unto his father. His father was all that there was or ever could be, yet somewhere in the deep fog between life and death, Jesus thinks he has been forsaken. Mark 15, verse 34. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Yet in all of this, Jesus Christ did not curse God to his face. Remember Job 2, 4, and 5, where Satan speaks his argument. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, Yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. Leviticus 17:11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. Life is in the blood. And Jesus Christ gave it all in love and obedience unto his Father, and to redeem the lost sons and daughters of Adam. As his life is departing, he does not curse God and die. John 19.13 records these last words of Jesus. It is finished. At this point for Satan, all is lost. The prosecutor's argument was fully vanquished by the love of God's only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. From the beginning, only the blood of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world, would atone for sin. Only Christ's blood could break the legal claim of Lucifer. Everything in the plan of redemption begins with the blood. Only Christ's blood can satisfy the curse of the law of sin and death, and His blood alone can atone. The word atonement is made up of the words at-one-ment, and only Christ's blood can reconcile lost souls unto the Father. The beauty of that onement is recorded in John seventeen twenty one that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. You'll find this description of the word bless in the exhaustive Oxford English Dictionary. The etymological meaning was thus to mark or an infect in some or affect in some way with blood or sacrifice to consecrate. To be blessed of God is to be marked, to be covered with the blood of Christ, the only acceptable sacrifice for sin. When one says, God bless you to another, they are basically saying, be covered with the blood of Christ. There is no blessing without blood.
in the deep fog between life and death. When Jesus thought his father had forsaken him, he did not curse God to his face. Satan and his devils were vanquished by the blood and love of the sacrifice. Job 2, 4 and 5 again. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life, but put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. Not so, Mr. Devil. Satan's legal arguments at uh, end at Calvary, and there is no appeal in the court of heaven. When he sees the blood, he must pass over you. The redeemed, the blood-bought, are no longer the property of Satan. End of quote. When it comes to us in this world, everything revolves around the two atoms and how we associate with them. Keep your eyes and ears open here. It's so much bigger than one can imagine. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, was the sinless and perfect sacrifice that broke the back of Satan's argument. He obeyed his Father's word to the cross at the cost of his own life, that we might be freed from the law of sin and death. In order to escape the law, uh, curse of the law, which is death, we are required to die. The entire principle of born again reigns supreme here. Consider Romans 6, 3 through 7. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Jesus Christ commands us to take up our cross daily and follow him in Luke 9, 23. The cross is a place to die, even to put to death the carnal man's lust of the flesh, Colossians 3, 5 through 10. The mysterious plan of salvation will become even more wonderful as we proceed. God said, Romans sixteen twenty five. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began. God said, Matthew twenty six twenty eight. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. God said, Job 2, 4, and 5. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin. Yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. Man said, I'm not like the others who believe blindly. I think things out and have smart questions like, Who needs Jesus when I have a smartphone and AI? Now you have the record.